Welcome to episode 152 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Just about a year ago, I came out about my seltzer obsession. It was a big deal because even a few months earlier, I would have said I didn't like seltzer. If I'm going to be honest, I abhorred seltzer for most of my life. Then, in preparation for doing Whole30 for the first time, I started to take baby steps towards drinking seltzer. At first, these were all flavored seltzer, my favorite being raspberry lime. Then, I started drinking about two liters of seltzer a day, so... I taste tested plain seltzer in different store brands and found my new favorite. Plain seltzer with a squeeze of fresh lime became my go-to drink. After dragging six two liters at a time home from the store for months and months, I looked into getting a soda stream. I felt I was ready to make this level of commitment. It was not a passing fad. Until a couple of weeks ago, this arrangement has been going pretty good. Every four to five weeks, I head to a local store to exchange my SodaStream cylinders. And then, Target in my area didn't have any for weeks. Best Buy didn't have them either. For some reason, there's been a shortage in my area, and I'm not the only one who's noticed. My response to this crisis? I spent a couple of hours researching how to refill CO2 cylinders at home. I purchased my own 20-pound tank of CO2 and ordered an adapter from Germany. I'm no longer tied to a closed system at the mercy of one company. I am my own seltzer captain, just in time for summer. Your challenge for this week. Do you feel like you're running into roadblocks and can't seem to make any progress? How can you work outside the system to get your needs met? A little bit of research, a pinch of perseverance, and a lot of -of out-of-the-box thinking could be just what you need to get where you want to go. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now... Onto this week's show. Today's guest is on a mission to fix the way we work at work. He specializes in helping organizations apply behavioral science to strengthen the way leaders train, support, and empower their teams for success. An award-winning educational leader and researcher, he has earned accolades from Fortune 500 executives to NFL coaches for his forward-thinking approach to improving organizational culture and effectiveness. The author of The Feedback Fix, he offers a radical alternative to traditional feedback techniques and performance management practices. He distills vast bodies of research-based practice into actual insights that make an immediate difference in how people work, learn, and lead. His work has caught the attention of Marshall Goldsmith and Adam Grant. The latter calls him a breath of fresh air. Please join me in welcoming Joe Hirsch. Hey, Robbie. Joe, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Dallas, Texas. It is a joy to have you here. As you know, there's a show about building strong relationships and leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Mm, Those are good questions. I guess I would say leadership is the ability to listen and to learn. And I think those two qualities define the way that leaders interact with everyone around them, but also how they define 
the relationships, and really the tone uh, that exists within the organization as a whole. And I think for myself, I have been getting better at that. I think we're never done, we're never, never done leading and we're never done learning. Uh, and so I think the ability to listen well and to keep learning from others is something that I, like so many other people, continue to do. Uh, but I think a defining moment for me came probably three years ago where experiences I was having in my work helped me realize that this is absolutely the most essential thing leaders do. They listen and they learn. So was there somebody that got you thinking that even early on in life? Like, is there someone you can point to who you're like, you know, now that I know this is an important quality, a critical feature of being a leader, actually, I can see how this person in my life was that for me. I think I had a teacher earlier in my life uh, when I was in high school who, who did that. And I, he, he didn't present himself as a leader. Uh, but we saw him as one. And I think the reason why we respected him so much is because he truly listened to us students and took an interest in what we had to say and made us feel almost like we were on the same field as him, that, mm -hmm. that we weren't quite as equals, but we were close enough to be in the conversation. And as I reflect on that individual now, um, much later in my life, I, I think that that skill to see yourself as someone who invites others into the conversation, who isn't afraid to be a learn-it-all instead of a know-it-all, someone who does that, that person is a leader. Because ultimately, when you do that, when you listen and you, and you learn from everyone around you, that's when you create not only followers, you create leaders. It's such a stronger team, too. Like, that class would be more engaged if you are a job like to have people around you who are not afraid to speak up because they know you're open to learning. Like you get the best of people when you create that environment. So the word inclusive came to mind when you were talking about that, that idea of inviting people into the conversation, not necessarily in that moment as co-equals, but as you said, like you're, you're welcome to participate in a way that maybe others wouldn't have made you feel welcome. And this has been animating all of my work with regard to giving high-performance feedback. It, it is this idea of allowing performance management to become more of a partnership rather than a trial, uh, to stop looking at people as vessels to be filled, but really as agents of their own change. That, Robbie, is the defining feature of high-performing organizations today who don't see performance management as just another way to stack and to rank and to box people out. It is a way to bring out people's very best and to help them become closer to the, the true selves that that they already are, to help them tap into the parts of themselves that are there, but they may just not know about so well. And that's the job of the leader, to, to help that person get closer to that. It also sounds daunting. And I imagine for people who are not self-assured, it's hard for them to be open to doing that for other people because they're, they're like, my own weaknesses might show. So the challenge is that to grow as a leader is to also have that vulnerability and invite in participation and, you know, own your, your learning edges <laughs> in a way that maybe it's easier to ignore. So I can see that the organizations that get through that, like, will, will achieve so much more and optimize, like, the space that people are connected in um, in a way that 
ones that are more closed. It's, it's sort of like the difference between scarcity and abundance mindsets. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the research is pretty clear on this. Uh, organizations with humble leaders, leaders who aren't afraid to show their vulnerability, leaders who don't adopt a know-it-all approach, leaders who genuinely take an interest in the people that are all around them and treat them like fully formed adults. Those organizations do very, very well. Not only do they create high trust environments, but they also tend to be high performing environments. And that actually makes a lot of sense because when people feel psychologically safe, when people feel like they can be their true selves and they can bring all of themselves to work, that is when people not only feel okay letting others in, but they also don't feel reluctant to give it out, to share feedback with others freely and candidly. And that's the real hallmark of a high trust environment where the leader is just as likely to take criticism from his employees uh, as he would from, from others uh, that, are, that are his or her equal. And that is um, clear in the research and it's been clear in my experiences working with these teams. Yeah, this all reminds me of uh, the book Radical Candor, which is really, you know, the ability to speak that truth and be, but, you, but only if you demonstrate doing it will others do it with you. Right. So like someone has to start. I, I, I was so curious about how do you shift a culture? I was just talking to a client who said that her last job, when she left, she was used to um, hiring smart people and trusting them. But she had stepped into an interim role where they were used to being micromanaged. And so she was trying to give them too much free reign. And that led to all this sort of like angst and, you know, inner in, in her turmoil, yeah. <laughs> she was trying to lead in that way of like, I trust you. You're here for a reason. I believe you have the answer. What support do you need? And they were like, oh my God, no, it's a trick question. <laughs> where's, where's she going with that? Yeah. Um, what, what do you mean yeah. by that? <laughs> yeah. What's, what's the question behind the question? Uh, I'll tell you it's two things. Rad- I'm, I think radical candor is fantastic, but I think radical caring is even more powerful because candor without caring lands differently, doesn't it? And ultimately, feedback is all about relationships. And if we have a series of high trust relationships where I, as the manager, might not only show you that I have power, but I, have, I want to create a partnership, that, that changes the whole dynamic of our relationship. And I think that's when people feel okay about sharing things with each other when they know that there truly is an interest on the part of other people to help them get through these tough patches in performance. That's the mark of a high trust team. So I'm so curious about how you ended up here, Joe. Like what what was your journey to this point? I mean, this is you you clearly are so like have such well formed thoughts on this topic. And it's one that many of us haven't spent that much thinking time thinking about, although we've experienced both sides of that feedback conversation. Yeah, totally. So at what point did you think this is an area to study? Um, you know, there, there's there's a, a hole in the field that I can fill. Like, did you have early experiences that made you think, oh, I really wish this was better? I wish I was better at it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. That, that is exactly how I, I sort of fell into this field of work. I, I come through the education space. Uh, both as a classroom teacher as an, and as an instructional coach. And 
in both of those roles, I was giving lots of feedback to students as well as to colleagues and other people in the district. And that, and what became very clear to me early on is that the way we give feedback uh, really leaves a lot to be desired because like the corporate world, it's highly focused on metrics and ratings and counting <laughs> and measuring, but there isn't a human side to it. And we're not taking into account necessarily all the time the full range of emotions, of experiences, of, of interests of that other person and what led that person to do what he or she did. I started writing about that mainly in, in the education space. And eventually um, I wrote one particular blog where I took a concept that I learned from Marshall Goldsmith called Feed Forward, which Marshall uses to describe a series of sort of quick uh, real-time feedback gathering conversations, mainly in an icebreaker setting where you and I are together. I'll go to you and I'll say, Robbie, here's a problem I'm having with, can you give me some feed forward on how to fix it? And you might tell me something and I'll just say, thank you. And I appreciate that. And then move on. So it's like speed dating with performance. As I started to become more familiar with the concept, I realized there is a tremendous research underpinning here. There is so much in the realm of motivation, of communication, of trust, of teams, uh, of the way that we present ourselves to others and the way that we allow others to perceive us. And so with Marshall's permission and now with his blessing, I've unpacked that research and presented a research-based case for FeedForward that I write about in the Feedback Fix. And Marshall was kind enough to bless it with his own forward and references it now in his work. He's surprised by the direction it's taken. This wasn't, again, something he thought would necessarily be applied. But what's so exciting about this is that it's not just something that's resonated in, a, you know, in the education space. It, it spills out everywhere because we, in every sector, in every industry that involves human beings, <laughs> we have a problem. And the problem is that we spend so much time prescribing fixes. Really, we just have to let people fill the space the way they best know how. Ultimately, people hold truths and intuitions that even the savviest managers will never understand, will never perceive. And that's why I think the mark of leadership is to be a learn-it-all and not a know-it-all. Because when you create space for someone to fill that void, to provide you, the leader, to provide guidance, to allow those insights to surface, that is when the conversation truly becomes a partnership and that is when people truly evolve. So starting to write about this and starting to speak about this has led to even more discoveries and more insights. Uh, it's a huge field, and I'm so grateful that I'm able to contribute some part to it. But ultimately, I think we all are writing this new narrative on performance management. Uh, if anything, it has stimulated a conversation. But ultimately, the truths about what makes someone truly great at what he or she does that's not going to come from uh, from a consultant. That's going to come from individuals. And it'll happen when we become more self-aware and create space to really be reflective about our own practice. And that's where managers and leaders come in. They have to help us create that space and set those conditions for reflection. I, I love hearing this sort of origin story and how it evolved over time from like a it sort of piqued your curiosity and you sort of picked at it a little bit. And then, you know, you heard this concept um, and you sort of, but you ran with it, you know, like some people read or hear about a clever technique, 
you know, and like, oh, feed forward. Oh, that's, that's interesting. And like, it's filed away somewhere, <laughs> but to like, just think, oh, this really taps into a lot of areas of my interest. And honestly, as you were talking it, and I know you have children, <laughs> I was just thinking, this is a lot like parenting. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? oh, it's like so much like parenting. What did you say? Like, designing the optimal space, like, yeah. you know, like creating a container. Get out of the way. Happen. Let them do it. Yeah. 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 Let them share their insights. Like don't prescribe to them the way to be. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think in a lot of ways, parents and managers, um, I, I see similarities. I mean, ultimately, I think it's about looking after people and helping people um, make, making sure that people have what they need to be successful, right? Great parents do that. Great leaders do that. Uh, I also think there's a, there's a certain element of challenge involved, uh, meaning that parents and leaders have to apply just the right amount of pressure and discomfort to get you to grow. Because if you always are telling your child or your, or your report, you're fine, you're okay, they don't grow from a point of comfort they grow from a point of discomfort. And I think challenging someone to be a little uncomfortable and yet providing that trust and that care and that support, that is where growth occurs. It's that intersection of challenging them, but also supporting and caring about them. And that's why I think if you're a learn it all as a leader, you realize that you can create those conditions for people to let them know that it's okay to, to feel vulnerable and to express their, their their closely held fears, and then to help them work through that, and ultimately for them to realize that they already know what to do. You just have to be the person to help them get through that. Mm-hmm. So what's been most rewarding about this new work you're able to do? Oh man, it's, it's seeing the change and that light bulb that occurs when people realize that this doesn't have to be so hard. <laughs> a lot of managers will tell me I'm too time strapped, I'm ill-equipped to, to handle these kinds of coaching conversations that you're talking about, where we're creating partnership. And, and there's, there's, like I said, there's a body of research and there's tools that I've developed to help managers do this, but ultimately it's about mindset changing. And they're sometimes a little reluctant to do that because, hey, isn't this just so much easier just to, to do force rankings and to and to do cascades and isn't it, isn't that just easier and familiar and it's just simple. And, and the answer to that is, well, how's it working for you? I mean, do you, do you enjoy that? And, and they say, no, I don't. I hate it. I run from these conversations. In fact, according to some research from CEB, the only people who dislike feedback more than the ones getting it are the ones giving it. Managers dislike it three to one. Uh, by a ratio of three to one than the employees who they're giving it to, because ultimately Unless you're sadistic, you don't want to crush someone. You don't want to. Uh, you don't want to make someone feel less of themselves. You want to help them feel more. But I guess a lot of these managers feel like it, I just don't know what to say, so I default to my to my standard, which is a praise sandwich, empty praise, or or really just avoiding the whole thing altogether, and then hoping come review time, I don't have to be a forensic psychologist and reconstruct all of these events in the past months to try to create some picture of performance. And so when they realize that this is not something that they have to carry themselves, that by making it a partnership and relying on, on truly proven techniques in the realm of communication and in the realm of feedback, that this doesn't have to be so hard 
And it doesn't have to be a source of fear. It can actually be a source of joy. And that is something that when they realize that and just how simple it is to at least open yourself up to that shift. I'm not saying the work is easy, but the mindset change, thinking about it differently, that's something that's, that anyone can do, regardless of their background. That's the moment that managers start to feel capable of having these conversations for themselves. Yeah, and mindset is basically the start of every coaching conversation I've ever had, both being coached and coaching others. <laughs> and it, the resistance that people have of, switching our worldview. You know, this is the way I see the world. This is the way I see the world. And I love that you asked the question, how's that working for you? Yeah. <laughs> because it's not, it, you it's know, not. like hold the mirror up. That's, that's your job as a coach, right? You hold the mirror up and they go, oh yeah, it's kind of ugly. I don't like it. And once you're uncomfortable with your worldview, it's a little easier to be willing to say, I'll try on something else. Oh, this isn't so bad. Wait, this is actually a lot better. And of course, it's an evolution. I love the idea of the, of the mirror holder and the window gazer because that really crystallizes these two approaches with feedback. You can either tell someone what to see. That's window gazing. You and I standing and looking out the window and I tell you, Robbie, look how busy it is over there on Beacon Street. And you're like, no, it's not. There's no traffic whatsoever. And I'll say, but no, it's, it's really crowded. And you're like, no, it's not. Or I think it's hot today. No, I think it's fine. And, and these perceptions vary by people. And when you throw in the host of other problems with traditional feedback, time lapse, and the toxic stress, and all the other problems that go into that, window gazing is very ineffective. It, that's what triggers the threat response that would lead, that's what leads to opposition and, and challenge and discomfort and all the toxic emotions that we, we tend to associate with feedback. But when you're holding a mirror, your job is just to help someone see it for themselves. And that's mainly by being a good listener and probing and being humble enough that you realize that you don't know this person as well as you think. And maybe, just maybe, if you listen a little more carefully, you will find out something you didn't know before. Yeah. So I, I'm curious how this relates to to cultural differences. You know, I've studied a little bit cultural conflict styles and I know, you know, there's the, in the conflict moment, people who are more direct or less direct about how they can, you know, convey information or um, more uh, emotive about how they feel or really reserved. And so how, how does the research sort of play out, you know, in a non-white man to white man scenario yeah, yeah. when you're factoring in other genders or races or just mm -hmm. cultural differences? Yeah, cultural, uh, cultural factors play a role as much as even communication styles would and the variance with that. And so there, we, we all bring something different to the table. We all have those different experiences and backgrounds and worldviews. And what, what creates the conditions for the, these conversations to happen is three things. One, is the sense of relationship that uh, that I know that you have my best interests. Two is a sense of belonging that people feel like they have a, a sense of attachment to the mission. They understand the mission. They feel like they are included in that, and they feel like they're contributing to that. And then the final one is is candor, where we're actually telling people straight up what it is that's going on, but doing so in a way that is removing judgment and and more about making 
value, uh, making, uh, I guess, emotive statements, uh, moving it out of the realm of, I think you did this, or I perceive, versus this is what I felt, or this is how I understood it, and inviting a conversation from there. Doing all that, making, uh, making sure that people feel like you have their backs, making sure that they feel like they're valued and part of this conversation, and then being frank with them, but frank about the way you feel or how it landed with you as opposed to them and what they're doing, that's the recipe for transverse, you know, um, I guess traversing these, these very sometimes wide gaps that separate us um, at work and help bring us a little closer together. Mm. So this is reminding me of nonviolent communication and VC. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if, and I'll give you the example I have for this, if, if, if this sort of fits in with this new paradigm uh, feed forward. But um, it's so interesting because I, I learned this and then I, I shared it with my wife and it's, she's never attended a session on it or anything, but we, we tend to default to using it now. Um, so let's say there were dishes in the sink, you know, like let's say you live with a bunch of roommates and you, no one ever takes responsibility. It's like one spoon, one cup, who cares? And suddenly it's a dish full of, you know, sink full of dishes and no one's owning it. And you could be passive aggressive and write notes and all the stuff that doesn't really work. Or you say, I noticed. So the first thing is noticed. I noticed, um, I feel, so I, I feel like uh, this place is getting really out of hand and it makes me concerned. And I, I, I just, I feel really like it, it's a little out of control for me. I need to know that we're going to figure this out together, that we're going to come up with a plan that feels fair and equitable. Would you be willing to, mm. that's like the last part, would you be willing to yeah. set aside time to like come up with a new process? And like, yeah. So it's like yeah. notice, feel, need, and request. Hmm. It, it, it actually is very um, close to things that I advise managers to do, which is the antidote to the, the prey sandwich, and I call it a feedback wrap. Wrap stands for what and where, reason, affect, and prompt. And, um, you know, the, the it's a really simple framework. It, it's kind of like the... Um, situation behavior impact model that's out there but it just it's i guess people have told me the 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 concept of a rap is just a little softer and more friendly with you know it lands better with people and they start to get oh i, I like raps i can i can get behind this so it's essentially the same thing you know you you de-escalate all the tension by being highly specific tell, telling the person about what's happening and where it's happening and the reason why it's hit your radar why you think it's worthy of a conversation and then the real shift is the last two parts the a and the p the affect and the prompt Affect is again how it's making me feel, not not I not not you statements, but I statements, right? Instead of me saying, "Robbie, you really are lazy for leaving these dishes in the sink," you say, "You know, I feel you know I feel like when I walk into a kitchen and and, and there's dishes in the sink, it just it makes me feel it makes me feel all you know disconcerted. I just I feel like it's a gross environment and it's you know it's not the kind of place I want to be because that that gets to a human truth, and that is that people can argue with with what we say but they rarely can argue with how we feel. <laughs> it's how I feel. You can't argue with that. And that leads to the prompt as opposed to prescribing. And, you know, I like, I like the, the part you mentioned and where I would add to that things that I've found to be effective is when you prompt the person and you say, okay, so now what would, how do you think we, we can resolve this? Again, assuming that there's going to be a resolution, but inviting that person to be the owner and agent of that change, as opposed to me saying, just 
wash a dish as you take it out, right? That's a simple fix, but it's my fix. Right. And my fix is not going to be your solution. Yeah. You have to that for yourself. So inviting them to, to have say in that voice and choice, that, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And this rap model, it's so simple that any manager can do it. And all it takes is a commitment to really listening and being humble enough to realize, you know what? It might be that when I present it this way, I'm really specific. I've, I haven't thrown the kitchen sink at this individual. I've, I've really uh, located this problem and told the person how it feels for me. And then I've given them an opportunity to propose a solution. That's when change occurs. That's when they start to own things for themselves. Right. I mean, it, it, it's received very differently. I actually, sometimes we end up short circuiting the conversation. And if we, if one of us says, um, if one of us even starts to say, I noticed, I, like if she says, I noticed, I just take a breath and like, let it out. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I know that she's trying to say it in that way. And it's like, okay, like, let go of the defensiveness, like just listen. So it's great. Like I can imagine over time, there are certain cues that the employee would hear and be like, okay, like they're going to share some information with me. Let me, let me hear this. And then and just- it's not, it's not just, it's not just the, the, the tone and the tenor of these conversations. I also found from research and experience that it's also a question of the timing, uh, Having these conversations on a more regular basis, continuously over a period of time, changes the dynamic because something that happens once in a while, that's a moment, but something that happens over time, that becomes a habit. And when feedback is a habit and it's part of an ongoing, evolving relationship between two parties, that changes the nature of how you and I approach this conversation. Uh, When managers make it, something that's embedded in the workday, it's just in time, then it's not something they need to dread or get all revved up for come, come reporting time or evaluation time. This is now something that's embedded in the day. And for the employee, it's the same thing. It's not some scary evaluation or appraisal. It's something that just happens on a Tuesday, you know, right. or yeah. on a Thursday. And so it's no big deal. It's like the same way we have all hands once a week, we have feedback conversations all the time. And even location matters. Uh, if it's if it's formal and it's in an office, that that sets a tone for sure. But uh, one company that I recently worked with did this. They just they anyway is going to do lunch, right? And so managers would just have lunch offsite with a group of people on the team. This is a larger company, so they took them in batches, and they did sort of these casual lunches where they just went out and just had a good time and enjoyed each other's company and. In that conversation, they talked about work, but not the business, but more about matters surrounding the business, you know, how they thought about um, how they approached problems, how they, uh, something interesting they had read in the field. I mean, these are just normal conversations. And in that context, some of this stuff surfaces. And it's so much more powerful because it's not threatening. It's more human. It's just a way that we do things. And that changes the dynamic. I love it because there's no surprises in this um, come come review time. Uh, so you've had just from this conversation, you've you've shared your your journey here leads you through many different sectors. Um, and since you've been doing this work, you've expanded your network and all the people you're interacting with, and you've studied and you've partnered with. As you're thinking about actually that network, um, not just your closest sort of circle. 
But the second and third tier out, the people you maybe meet once a year at a conference or you worked with five years ago, but you know, you're not working with currently. Like, how do you nurture and sustain those connections? Like, do you have any habits or philosophies or routines that help or like just that help you be in their life in some way so that they're not forgotten? Yeah. No, that's it's harder, I think, as as we get to know more people in our networks grow, it's relationship management is a huge problem. Something that I do that has been effective is if um, if I meet someone um, and it's more than just a quick hi, but we actually have a meaningful conversation or we've worked together, especially, um, I make note of that. And it's not a super sophisticated system. It's just an Excel sheet that I have where I'll jot down some notes about recent interactions we've had passions that are that are you know relevant to them at that time and then if i come across something that i think would would be of interest to them whether it's an article not even mine but like something that would just be i read something hey this is really cool i wanted to share it with you i loved it i thought i thought of you um or making mutual introductions uh that i think that could have benefit to both sides where i i like to be the connector where uh i you know Robbie, Robbie's super, super into how to build your network. Janie is all about how to have high trust relationships. Okay. I think you guys would be really great for each other to talk. Um, and just, I want to make a blind intro. And oftentimes I've heard years later that from those sort of what seem to be chance uh, matches have come some really great relationships and work and partnerships. And that makes me feel good that I'm able to think about other people, not just in terms of my relationship with them, but how they can impact uh, the wider world with, with their interests. So I try to do both of those things, uh, be a connector, but also think about what connects people to me and, and how I can nurture that relationship by just adding value to it. I have to say the fact that you even have a spreadsheet puts you in a completely different <laughs> a class. Total nerd. Okay, there it's it is. It's so great. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, my wife and I yeah. are so into spreadsheets that we think our kids are going to hate them. <laughs> They're going to rebel. I, like, no spreadsheets. I, uh, it's, <laughs> it's not a solution, but that and duct tape are pretty much my go-to for everything in this world. It's a good uh, place there's nothing to start. a spreadsheet and duct tape can't fix. I, yeah. that, that's a tweet right there. <laughs> There it is. Duct tape, duct tape relationships. There it is, right? So um, what I love about this is there's some simplicity, but thoughtfulness. So some people get really into this, like, I have to have a big CRM and I have to like track every interaction ever. And I, and then they don't use it. And you're like, I meet an interesting person. I put them in this document. I make a note of like where we connected and what we connected about, what was their passion at the time. And like, let's say you come across an interesting article about AI, you're like, oh, you can actually go to that document and just search AI and find yeah. the three people on your list yeah. that you've met in the last two years that yeah. are interested and you're like, shoot them the thing. Like, yeah. so is and there a habit or a frequency? Like how, do, how often hmm. do you find yourself doing that kind of sharing of articles? Hmm. Do you like actually schedule time or is it really organic at this point? It's much more organic. I think I should probably be more um, intentional about the process. As I'm talking to you now, I'm thinking, oh man, I really should be you know, a little more careful about that. But it's much more organic and in the moment where you know, the spreadsheet lives in the cloud. If I, if I come across something, I'm like, oh man, this is amazing. I want to send it to Ashley. Um, or, oh, this is great. John would love this. You know, I'll just like 
either um, you know message them or email them and be like, hey, um, thought of you. This is really great. Loves it. Want to hear reactions. And sometimes they'll write back sort of right away, hey, thanks. Oftentimes it, it provokes conversation uh, where you know it's an instant reigniter. Uh, you know, to that conversation, we'll pick up sort of where we left off and then kind of build from there. So not only does it maintain the relationship that we had, it, it, I think takes it to another place. And that's really good because that's, that's what relationships all about. It's about evolving over time. So that is really good. And then I think the other thing that, um, I try to do, and I, I, I've started to get a little better at this is if I know that I'm going to be in a city for an event. Um, whether I'm attending a conference or presenting or doing a gig, I'll reach out to people who I know in that area. I mean, oftentimes they're like me. They're also traveling a lot, and so they're not there. But I'll be like, hey, I'm going to be in Minneapolis um, in two weeks for a talk. Um, Would love to get together and hang out. Or um, sometimes I'll invite people to come to the talk and give me feedback. And they like it because it gets them in Sometimes to events, if it's not for a client, if it's like an association event or if it's for conference, um, oftentimes as a presenter, you're allowed to bring someone with. So they don't mind being my plus one because they get to come to this really cool conference and meet some cool people. Ultimately, it serves both our interests. I get someone to give me brutally honest feedback and they get the chance to kind of be there on the scene. So I found that to be good too. It's again, I think when you think about relationships as what am I investing and what am I getting in return, and it's really a partnership um, and two-way, I think that that helps a lot. So I do those things. I, I have to underscore a couple of those things. And one of them is a simple line that you mentioned that as you forward an article in your message to them, you say, thought of you, I would love to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's that I would love to hear your thoughts that is the invitation to continue the conversation that there are plenty of people that probably just do the thought of you article link, mm-hmm. but, but it's sort of, you get that and you're like, Oh, that is a cool article. And you move on. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. that request. I would love to hear your thoughts. That's the invitation to like, let's get on a zoom call and let's meet for coffee. So it's sort of implied without it being like high pressure. You know, you don't know what's going on in their lives. So it might work back and be like, I'm traveling a ton this month. Great to hear from you, Joe. Bye bye. You know, right? <laughs> like, and sometimes that and sometimes that happens. But um, I genuinely do want to hear what they have to say. So that's also part of it. I think you have to be really sincere with relationships. I mean, this is this is probably a no brainer to, to you and all your listeners. I mean, this is the number one. I mean, authenticity is the do or die for relationships. And if you're not authentic, people will sniff you out, and then they know it's really just about uh, what you can take from people and not what you can give to them. And that, like we were you know, saying earlier in our conversation, I think the same way employees can sniff that out in their bosses, people can sniff that out in their relationships. I mean, what is the dynamic here? I mean, are you just here because you have a motive? You have an agenda? Is there an angle? Or no, literally, um, actually, I want to hear what you have to say, because we were talking about this topic just a couple weeks ago, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, I was at Work Human a couple of weeks ago and doing a talk on this on Feed Forward and 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 met people who I'd begun relationships with online and LinkedIn. It was the chance to actually meet them in person. That's another thing that I think I try to do. You made me just think of this. Um, if I know I'm going to be at a sort of a bigger conference where people who are in my network just very peripherally, they're they're probably hitting a few levels above me. 
um, I, I will make it every effort to try to get FaceTime with him at these conferences since we're kind of both there as equals, even though I'm not their equal, we're both there presenting. And so it feels like, okay, let's grab some time together. And often that works. So before an event, I will look at all the speakers uh, if it's a conference. So like WorkHuman had some pretty awesome people who were there. And so I will make a point to reach out and say, hey, um, I want to just wish you luck on your talk. And if you have any time, you know, I don't know if I can beat your session, but if, if I can, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. And at the very least, if, I hope we bump into each other. And that's it. It's a no pressure thing. Um, I met three people at WorkHuman who I've admired for a really long time. And I think it's another step towards building a relationship where, you know, I took the time to reach out. Um, I conveyed why I thought it was important for us to meet, not, not so much for what I would get out of that conversation, but because here's something I admire about your work. Here's something you've done that's impacted me. And I just want to like say thank you in person. And that also makes people um, a little less guarded, um, especially if they're hitting a couple levels above you, because oftentimes they'll be like, well, what do you want from me? You know? And so this isn't about an ask or a favor. It's just, I just want to show gratitude. And I find that when it comes to networking, showing gratitude is really important. Um, that goes back to authenticity. And the more grateful we are for the things that people do for us and uh, and for the ways in which they help us, that's how it pays forward yeah. later down the line. Yeah. Well, and I also think it's about specificity. So like if a, if a certain line in a speech or like a concept from a book or a guest on their podcast, like something like hit home for you and change the way you think about the world or change the way you do the work in the world or something, like as content creators, we crave that, <laughs> you know, and... I, I, you know, it's, it, it's changed how I approach this too. Like if I now read a good book, I like seek out the author. I, I do a little promo online for them. I write them a review. Like I just make the extra effort because I'm like, oh, wow. You know, even though they can see tons of book sales, it's still great to see how specifically that book is helping people or that, you know, talk or anything like that. And I also love that as a speaker, you have access to other speakers. So that's a great way to, like you said, rise above your your station in life yeah <laughs> you know, you're like oh well we're yeah. kind of like here together as speakers i mean i love when i'm a speaker because you get to be like in the green room or like there's always like sort of downtime and you're just like hanging out and everyone's just a person at that point <laughs> you know like it's nice so like you're just I, I i didn't ask this person permission to tell the story so i don't want to say this individual's name but at work human someone who would be familiar to, to your audience um uh, was, was, uh, it was at a major convention center and I happened to have, I was doing a, a spot for, um, for an interview series with a particular company. It was an early morning deal. It was a 7am shoot and it was on site at the convention center. And so I'm, I'm there pretty early and from a distance, I see someone who I think looks like so-and-so and I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's so-and-so. And I, I went over to the person and I was like, Hey, let's just call him Tony. Hey, Tony, um, is that you? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I just want to introduce myself and thank you for the impact you've had on me with your work. And that's kind of like a random nice thing. People like hearing first thing in the morning. So we got to talking. Then the guy had no idea where he was going. Like he didn't know where to, it's a, this was a massive convention center and he didn't know like 
where to go next. And I was like, I happened to have just figured that out for myself. So I kind of walked him and she said, Hey, can we, I'll, I'll walk you. I don't mind. I got a few minutes before my next thing. Like, and so we had a conversation, you know what I mean? So I think it's all about just being someone who's ready to give and to offer some value. And like you're saying, be specific in your requests. And ultimately the research is pretty clear about this. If you let someone know about the impact they're having, they're more likely to want to help you in the future. Now oh, that's awesome. And yeah. so let them know, let them know, let them, yeah, 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 yeah. So let them know how, how they've helped you and they'll help you again, or mm-hmm. at least we'll give you another shot. So mm-hmm. yeah, those are, those are some things that have worked for me, but ultimately because it's a relationship business, you just have to think about what makes, what makes, what's natural for you, what makes sense for you in terms of growing these relationships organically and how, how we go about that is not as important as how authentically we go about that. So we're, we're cutting towards the end of this interview and I want to ask, this is one of my favorite questions. So let's say, you know, Joe, we're, we're connecting a year from now and mm-hmm. I am, I have to admit that we're going to stay in touch a lot between now and then. So yeah, I'm excited. So you're, on, you're already on my Excel sheet, Rob. Yeah, so I can tell. Already, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to know if we're connecting a year from now and we're celebrating all of your successes from the previous year. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Hmm. I hope that the people that I interact with will reconsider the way that they go about the relationships they have at work and will at least create some sort of an opening for thinking about the human side of feedback and that by making small changes in their behavior, they can actually make a huge difference in the lives of everyone around them. Mm. I imagine that also has ripple effects into their house, like into their family life. Like, you know, when you get it right at work, it changes, like that's a big part of your life. I imagine Mm -hmm. what you're talking about is an even bigger impact than you just said. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder about that. That you're absolutely right. I mean, we don't separate our work lives from our home lives. Um, there's always spilling over from one to the other. But I think um, if there's a positive impact on the way that we parent, we talked about this at the outset, you know, if you as the parent maintain your authority and yet create room for agency, you know, for the kids, that, that is to me the same thing as the manager maintaining his or her role, but redefining it from power to partnership and thinking about the conditions they can create rather than impose. And that is, to me, the sign of a great leader. Uh, someone who's going to be a listener, someone who's going to be a learner, and ultimately, by doing both, create space for people to, to grow and to be their best. You know what I really love? I think that the work you're doing is what shifts someone from manager to leader. Mm. Like, I hope. Um, because the yeah. manager is prescribing, yeah. you know, and the leader is about creating the conditions. Like, it's just, it's so cool to think about, like, because people are like, oh, I'm kind of stuck here. Like, no, you can just do, oh, wow, I could do that. Like, so this is really cool. I can't wait, like, yeah. to see where your research goes, and the talks you, people you're able to impact. Like, I, this is so needed. Yeah. Um, it's so great to hear about this work. And I, I, it applies to everyone listening. Um, in their home life and their work life, regardless of their role. So that's awesome. So Joe, how can people find you and follow your work? Best place is Joe Hirsch, 
H-I-R-S-C-H dot me. Uh, that's where I live online. Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, all that good stuff. Great. We'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome talking, Robbie. Thanks. You're in the spreadsheet. We'll talk more than a year from now. Less than that. We'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Joe. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 152. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all 150 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorites. Have you been thinking about working with me, but you're not ready to commit to a six-month program? Send me an email to ask me about the more fundamentals, a three-month program that gets you the information you need take your business to the next level through relationship-based business strategies and gives you access to the community that will support you. My email is Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. I'm also accepting a couple more one-on-one coaching clients. Is that intriguing? Reach out and let's have a chat. If you enjoyed this episode with Joe, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.